To God be the glory. How many of you love the Lord this morning? Since the anointing is so strong up here, I'm going to make announcements. <laughs> I was praying for you this morning, asking the Lord for the word for this hour. And uh, I want to read a verse. I'd like all of you to listen very carefully. Romans chapter 1, I'm going to read in the Living Bible, verses 11 and 12. For I long to visit you so that I can impart to you the faith that will help your church grow strong in the Lord. Then, too, I need your help, for I want not only to share my faith with you, but to be encouraged by yours, each of us will be a blessing to the others. I don't know of an event I have looked forward to more than this one. <clears throat> I didn't know what you were like. And last night it was fun to realize that it was legal to get excited in this church. Yeah, somebody said amen. I am and will always be a soul winner. And if you get around me, it's going to get on you. You're going to want to win souls. When our brother was sharing about the Dream Center, I was getting ready to go down there. Because I am excited. How many of you are excited? Now, some of you have the most beautiful look on your face. The one I love the most. The I was kidnapped and dragged here by my friend look. And you wonder if we are a cult. How many of you know we're not a cult? And you may wonder why we shout when you really ought to be wondering why you're not shouting. And you wonder why our hands go up and I'm wondering why yours stay down. And you look at us and you say, man, you people, You've made more noise in this church in 20 minutes than I've heard in church in 40 years. And I want to explain to you something. We are not crazy. We are normal. This, this, this right here is normal Christianity. The other stuff, that's abnormal. And let me say it uh, better. It is subnormal. And uh, we've been subnormal so long that normal looks abnormal. But I want you to understand something. Before you judge us for shouting a little too loud, getting a little too happy, why don't you taste this? Why don't you get some of this in here? Because I'm sure that when you get filled with the Holy Spirit, you're going to be worse than we are. Yeah. You're going to wonder why we are so calm. Anybody happy? One day, I got a phone call. And the voice on the other end said, Mario, I'm going to give you $1 million. How many of you know that? That's the kind of phone call I like. The one from my brother-in-law I can wait on. Now, 
Some of you are looking for revelation around every corner. That's just, that's just a filler right there. It's not prophetic. When this voice said, I'm going to give you $1 million, I knew the voice. His name is Ben. He had the money. And he said to me, I'm going to give you a million dollars to start a church in my area. And I said, I can't do that because one of my best friends in the ministry is only 15 minutes away. And second of all, I am not a pastor. God would never do that to a group of people. I said, uh, I'm not a pastor. I probably have a board meeting and bring a 38 revolver to the <laughs> board meeting. I said, boys, this is what we're going to do right here. <laughs> and then I said, uh, why don't you just give it to let me win souls? Just give it to souls. Why do you have to put a string on it? And he hem-hawed around and he said, well, you know, you just have to understand, I want an on-fire church in my area and I feel like I could give you a million now and money later to have, and I said, I can't take it. But I said, I have that friend of mine 15 minutes away. He's always wanted to plant a church there, so let's give him the money. So I went over there, flew over to the city, met with the, the man of God. We figured it out. We even helped them get the church launched, and it really took off. It was a blessing. And then they said, as a token of our appreciation for you helping us launch this church, we're going to give you an acre of prime land in the very valuable land for you to use for however you want. And then uh, six months later, the new pastor called me and said, we changed our mind. We're not going to give you the land. Well, I'm Latin and German. Mira, hermano, un momento aquí. Porque yo quiero explicar qué pasó. La cosa. Let me tell you something. The Latino side of me said, kill him. being emotional and all. But the German side, being analytical and intellectual, so the Latino side said, kill him! You spell that K-E-E-L. Kill. Y luego, the, the German side said, control your emotions so you can think of ways to kill him. <laughs> Right? But, the, but the Holy Spirit said, walk in love, let it go. And he said, I'm going to promise you to double what that businessman offered you and you sowed. You are now credited with a $2 million gift, $2 million. You know, 
in some ways, that's not a lot of money. How many of you know today, that's not a lot of money? Mario, some of you looking at me with that look like, I'd take it. I'd be okay with that. But when you want to win the lost and the infrastructure that we're building for a massive soul-winning machine, that is not a lot of money. But let me explain something. Uh, that began that promise. It just began it. Years go by, a few years go by. I'm in Australia. I'm preaching, and a young man is outside the auditorium. There's 7,000 people inside, and the young man's out there, and he is a backslidden preacher's son. He's living for the devil in Adelaide, Australia. So here we are, right? He walks in because these two pretty girls said, you need to go to this Christian convention. And he said, you know, I'm going. So you, this guy's just filled with positive motivation. And he walks in, he sits in the back, what would have been over there? 7,000 people. I walk out, I look at him, and the Holy Spirit downloads his life. And I said, over here is a young man, you need to stand up. You know, when you're under the anointing, all your senses are elevated. And so I looked, there he was. He stood up. And he's waiting for the word. You foolish rebel. You're going to hell. None of that. The last thing I ever expected to say, I said, between the moment that you're in this meeting and you walk to your car, God's going to give you an invention in a field you have no experience in, and he's going to make you wealthy beyond your imagination. He walked out, put the key in his car, and suddenly got a medical invention with no medical training. For the next several years, he's investing in his parents, he's a young man, they invest in this invention and the pharmaceutical companies in Australia fight him tooth and nail. His, his case goes all the way to the Supreme Court of Australia and he wins and the pharmaceuticals were required to give him 20 four million dollars. Now, after that, he started his company and it took off into the hundreds of millions. So he calls me one day and he says, I'd like to meet you at the San Francisco airport and I want to thank you for what God gave you. And I'm saying two million dollars. <laughs> Somebody help me right now. I'm saying... No, you're not helping me enough. Some of you, I think a Baptist thing is trying to get on you. Two million dollars. No. Oh, maybe I need to say it. Two million dollars. <laughs> Just ask somebody who laughed. They'll explain that one. So I meet him at the airport, bought me a hamburger, shook my hand, and left. The Latino side of me said, 
you're not helping me enough here. You know, if I have to keep explaining this. So anyway, the Holy Spirit said, walk in love. That's hanging there. We put up our tent, and uh, Keith Groban, a young man who's been helping me this week, will remember this. We had our tent in the war zone in Las Vegas. The police told us, you were in the spot where the most murders occur. And I said, thank you. <laughs> so the gangs didn't shoot each other the whole time we were there and souls got saved, wonderful miracles. But while we were there, the two pastors that were men of reputation walked up to me and said, there's a businessman here who's worth $170 million and he wants to give you a gift. So he got up, I'm sitting there going, my prophetic thing is doing, no, 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 no. Don't let him talk. But these men insisted, they were part of the committee to help put us together. So we handed him the mic and he came up with a number. He said, I'm gonna give you two, is anybody getting tired of that number like I am? <laughs> and he was a total fraud. Three times. How many of you ever prayed mad? How many of you ever prayed mad? If, you're, if you haven't, you're not born again. Uh, you, you don't know the Lord. I don't know what it is you think you're doing, but you're not walking with God. You remember that time the preacher said, I want you to walk up here, and when you meet Christ, all your problems will be solved, and you will not have any problem. Come up here right now. I never had a problem till I had got saved. Look. I, let's preach the truth right here. It was after I got saved that the devil said, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to get people to hate you. I had a minister, walk, a businessman walk up to me and he says, you know, you ministers have it so easy. If you had a real job, you know how brutal life would be. And I looked at, stared at him the way a raccoon stares at truck headlights. And I... And I said, what is in the business world again? He said, well, your competitor will cut your throat. I said, in the ministry, your brother in Christ will cut your throat. I, listen, I said, the only difference is they'll go, Jesus told me to cut your throat. I ain't even said anything yet, okay? Now, let me... <laughs> I got in the prayer closet. I threw furniture around. And I made my case to God. I said, listen, three times in my life, I have had hope awakened in me. You know what's going on on the streets. You know that leftist radicalism has destroyed San Francisco? My hometown. We now have more heroin addicts than high school students. And the streets are not safe to walk on because of medical waste everywhere. Since they legalized marijuana, 
uh, Market Street used to be an amazing street, right in the middle of San Francisco. All the high-end stores are there. Even the Bloomingdale's came into San Francisco from New York. And so you've got Saks Fifth Avenue, you've got all the high-end stores, and marijuana's legal. So the streets are made up of hundreds and hundreds of people sitting in lawn chairs, up against the wall, dazed. And the entire Market Street smells with the waif of stale marijuana smoke. You know, I'm gonna tell you something. I told God, America is being destroyed, the church is playing games, and I'm ready to win the lost, and all of these wealthy people are just hanging on to their money, and they won't let it go for God. Somebody, am I preaching it? And, it, it, and, I, and I made my case. I said, you know what? I'm going to make a case right now in this prayer room where you are, are not quite right about this money deal for me because I'm getting ripped off. Now, I quit talking and then God began to speak. It was not a happy moment. And I hear these people talk. You know, I prayed and I felt so wonderful. I was scared out of my wits. God the Father spoke. He said, you feel ripped off? Well, I did a moment ago. <laughs> I got new feelings now. <laughs> Anybody been here? And the glory of God filled the place. And God was to give me one of the greatest revelations of my entire life. How many of you would like it? Would you? The next time I'm here, I'm going to share it. No, no. Go to Daniel chapter 9 and let's look at verse 2. Everyone quickly. And while you're going there, I'm going to announce now that I am preaching on the prophetic in Jeremiah Johnson's congregation, I am preaching on the prophetic. Now let's rehearse that for a moment. In Jeremiah Johnson's congregation, I'm going to preach on the prophetic, which is like challenging Betty Crocker to a bake-off is what it's like. I mean, you need to fasten your seatbelts and hang in here with me for this moment. How many of you having fun so far? Yeah, here we go. Look at Daniel chapter 9, verse 2, and never forget it. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish Seventy years in the desolations of Jerusalem. In verse 3, look at it. Then I set my face toward the Lord God to make requests by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. Aren't prophetic words automatically fulfilled? Aren't they an entitlement? I mean, isn't 
the glow and the, the hot flash, the cold chill, when someone lays hands on you and says, thus saith the Lord, thus and so is going to happen in your life, and you're going to see this and you're going to see that, that we go into automatic pilot and it's just going to happen. You know, you could fertilize a farm with that truth right there. It is just the opposite. Look at me. I'm going to say it. If I don't get an amen, I'm going to be devastated. I have ordered the ushers to throw red jello on you if you don't say amen. They have buckets of it. They're waiting in the sides. And they're going to throw it right on you if you don't amen me. You know, that didn't work. Now you've made me go to the nuclear option. You know, when I'm done preaching, I call my mom on the phone. And I call my mom and I say, Mom, how you doing? She goes, mijo. Did they amen you when you preached today? Now you may not like what I'm preaching. You may not want to amen what I'm preaching. But do you really want to break my mother's heart? <laughs> I love that spontaneous reaction. Un unmanipulated. Here it comes. Look me in the eye. Prophetic words have to be enforced. It's not good enough. Prophetic words have to be enforced. And I want you to look at Daniel, what he said. When I saw that the word of the Lord was 70 years and we would get out of jail and go back to our homeland... I set myself to fast and pray. And I'm sick to death of this hollow styrofoam swords, dungeons and dragons, final destiny video game Christianity. We have boasted that we have authority. We have boasted that we walk in power. It's about time for the devil to feel the church's power. You're not helping me enough. Yeah, that's, I'm going to start over here. This looks like an anointed group. You know, I'm going to tell you something. Enforcing a prophetic word is a powerful thing. One day I had the honor of having lunch with Bill Johnson over at Bethel Church. And we were sitting there eating and he pulled out a stack of three-by-five cards that had a rubber band around it. He said, this is every prophetic word that anyone has ever given me. Wow. Now, I felt carnal. <laughs> I just said, you know, I, I don't have something like that. Uh, I have kind of a pleasant memory of things people have said. Every prophetic word I've ever received, he had it right there. And he said, Daniel did, when I saw, when I did the math, when I understood the time I lived in, I looked at God, and God said to me in that time of prayer, that $2 million is out there you have got to enforce the promise. You've got to enforce the promise. And he said, I'm not going to send it to you 
at the behest of one or two business people. But there are going to be thousands of born-again believers all over America who will suddenly be led of God to not only give you that, but much, much more. And that's when I began to look at the devil and I said, you cannot hold my promise in prison. I'm preaching right now. You cannot hold what I have been told by God is rightfully mine. I claim it. I release it. I enforce it. I demand it. Somebody help me. Is anybody getting here right now? See, God gave you a word about your children. He gave you a word about your career. He gave you a word about your healing. And when God gives a word, that word is more real than anything you see with your eyes. And you have to know what time it is. It was the knowing what time it is. Daniel stood there between heaven and earth an emissary, an intercessor, an intermediary to transfer something from heaven to earth. Now, here is where I disagree with what's going on right now. There are too many churches trying to get high off of worship. And they're not worshiping Jesus, they're worshiping worship. Am I preaching yet? You know, and I know the way that they, they look at it this way. It's kind of Holy Ghost happy hour. Same way I'm stressed from work. I'm going to have a shot of something. My beer, cocktail, whatever. And I'm trying to get over the stress of the day. So I'm going to groove on Jesus the same way. The other thing is they believe that when they worship, they should feel like it. They say, I should feel like it. The Bible talks about the sacrifice of praise. The, look at me. The sacrifice of praise. A church ought not to have a worship leader up there going, okay, I'm trying to get you out of the mood you're in right now, and I hope this next song will work because that last one went over like a pregnant pole vaulter. I maybe you know, here's how you worship God. I don't feel like it. I'm tired. I'm not in the mood, but I see you on the cross, and you hung on that cross. If you died for me, and so body, you get ready right now. Because I'm going to say it. You are an awesome God. Help me, somebody. You are a holy God. You are a mighty God. You are the one and true God. Woo! Glory. Is that how you do it? Is that how you do it? Daniel began to cry out to God. And he said, you said it. You told us we would be out of here. And now, Lord, I'm commanding the works of your hand that it will be so. Somebody tried to tell me I was old. I was at a Bible college and they walked up to me and they said, give me your mantle. Yeah. I had a clipboard in my hand. I hit him in the head. Boom. I said, go get your own mantle. I'm not half done with this one yet. I'm not half done with this. Now, I'm going to tell you something. You're putting up with stuff and you know it. And Daniel said, I'm not going to put up with it anymore. 
If it was 69 years, 11 months and 29 days and 11 hours and 59 minutes, I wouldn't say this, but I looked at the time. And I'm going to tell you a powerful verse. It's in Psalm 119. It is verse 126. It says, it is time for you to act, O God, for they have regarded your word as nothing. It's time for God to move in America. It's time for the church to quit worrying about what society is going to think about us. It's time for us to say the devil has put his talons on the throat of a nation that was born in a miracle. Yes, we have sin. Yes, we had slavery. Yes, we had problems. But God forged this nation by a miracle. It is a firewall against international tyranny. If America goes down, the church at large will suffer in every nation of the world. Right now, 200 million Christians are persecuted worldwide. Let me tell you, that number would quadruple overnight if this nation went leftist and instead of being one nation under God, went into something else. But God is not going to allow it. And it's time for us to take our prophetic gifting and train it away from blessing each other, prophesying over each other, talking to each other, to stand up and speak the word of God that said, drugs will not destroy America in the name of Jesus. Somebody help me right now. Perversion will not own this country, and God will bring a miracle. Glory to God. You believe that? Some of y'all need to walk up to your front door, open the door, and talk to the devil. And say, you're not coming in here. You're not bringing anything in here. And you're not taking anything out. Because the power of God is in me. And I'm going to use the prophetic, which has become pathetic. Yes, it has. And I'm going to bring it back and purify that gift that it is an act of enforcement. Clap your hands, all you people. Yeah. The next thing I want you to notice is that prophecy is a strange form of encouragement. The next day after Daniel, well, 10 days after he began his fast, historians say the king issued the decree to let him go. Think about that. He changed history. Now let me look you in the eye and let me ask you sincerely. How many of you believe that America needs to change? Do you? How many of you believe that there's some changes that are long overdue? So I began to seek God for new ways to win young people to Christ. Masses of them. Like what Lou and I saw in the Jesus movement, but only bigger. And I said, God, there will be another movement like that one in America. It'll be bigger than the last time. We'll be wiser than we were the last time. And it will change America. Yeah. 
Wave your hand at me if you believe what I'm preaching. But now, here's where I'm going to tell you a story. Nehemiah is one of the most underrated heroes in the Bible. I like him because God said, I want you to go and build a wall. I like that. I want you to go and build a wall and make Jerusalem great again. <laughs> That's what he told him. Some of you giving me that look, like some of you starting to manifest. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you're gonna have to open the side room for a moment, right? But look, all I'm telling you is what the history books say. The Bible said, go back and build a wall. Now look at me. What he met, first of all, he was shocked when the king gave him permission. He said, the Jews who have gone back and have been back for many years are struggling. The tribes around them are trying to absorb them. I need to go. I can't stay here. My heart won't let me. Please let me go. And the king let him go and then gave him money and materials, right? So he heads back, and he's thinking, God is with me. This is first year Bible school lesson. You need to learn this one. You go in the ministry, and you get all these idealistic goals. You think, I am the best thing that has ever happened to the church. And how in the world have they not known about me? And you meet head on with the devil. And you get discouraged. Discouraged. And look, Nehemiah faced discouragement like few men that have ever lived. Because not only did he have tribes that want to kill him, but the workers that were by his side, he thought that when he got there, they'd all love him. He had to talk them into being men. He had to reestablish manhood in their brain, kind of like what we need in the United States right now. So he made them back, the workers back into men. And they're building and fighting and subterfuge and threats and letters are being written back to the king, assassinating Nehemiah's character. And he says... Everybody listen up. He says, how can, in his soul, I be in the will of God if I'm having so much trouble? Imagine if the Marines thought that way, right? Why is somebody shooting at me? Well, somebody's unclear on the concept. You're in a war. You're heading toward the enemy. And what do you think the devil's going to do? Oh, I've been waiting for you to give up everything. I'm just going to let it go. You can have it all. No, sir. He's going to dig in his heels. He's going to fight you tooth and nail. And you're going to, where you were measuring things by the yard, you're going to start measuring him by the inch. Now, he's discouraged. He's discouraged. Look, he is down and saying, if God is in this project, why is there so much resistance? If God is, and we hear this kind of preaching all the time. You know, when the Lord's hand comes on, 
the momentum will flow. I sat with Oral Roberts one day, and we were in a hotel overlooking Oral Roberts University. And he's, we were looking at the, the prayer tower, the city of faith, this incredible achievement. And we were in a hotel that he owned, and we're on the top floor, and we're looking at that. And he, he looks at me and he says, Mario, you see all that? You hear all this teaching on sovereignty. He said every inch of that campus was one with blood, sweat, and tears. The problem today is not the strength of the devil or the adversity of the day, but the sissiness of Christians. I'm going to try this. I'm, I'm, it's the sissiness. We didn't used to scare this easy. I, I'm, we did not give up this quickly. We did not surrender this fast. We didn't have this attitude of, if it doesn't go right, it must not be God, and we need to let it go. When the devil comes and attacks me, I must be doing something right. If I'm approaching a high-value target, the flack and resistance will be incredible. Where did he get his encouragement? In the ninth chapter of Daniel in verse 25. If this project of rebuilding the wall is of God, why am I going through so much hassle? And then in the book of Daniel, chapter 9, verse 29, because it was written way before Nehemiah, there's a prophetic bridge from one generation to another. There, something is said in the past that affects us now. And it is meant to remind us that we are going to win. Now, here is what it does. It reverses things. Look at verse 29, 25 of Daniel chapter 9. Dan, Daniel chapter 9, verse 25. Now, therefore, and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks, 62 weeks. The streets shall be built again and the wall even in troublesome times. To Daniel, that meant the day would come when the wall would be rebuilt, there would be trouble. To Nehemiah, it meant something completely different. And you need to get excited about this. What is it, Mario? The trouble is part of the prophecy. The trouble proves that the time of the rebuilding is down. The trouble proves that I'm on the right track. The trouble proves that it's going to happen. The trouble that the devil was just using to stop me has just turned into a catalyst to get me going even faster. Somebody clap and give God the glory. Come on, clap. Give the Lord praise. I want to say something about preaching. It needs to be said. I once bought a book called Preachers in Preaching by D. Martin Lloyd-Jones. He's a great man of God. 
in England. He was the personal physician to the king of England. And then the Lord called him to the ministry. He became an orator. He was an amazing man of God. But I began to read his book, Preachers and Preaching. And I was looking through it and reading it, and I noticed something that ran through the whole book. Say this, because it'll help the people. Don't say this, because that won't help the people. Do this, because it'll help the people. Don't do this, because it won't help the people. And I realized that his view of preaching was, how do you help the people? Let's look at you today, and let me look at you for a moment. You got children, you got bills. Some of you work in very hostile work environments. For a person to go to church today is different than back in the day. Church was a, was a, a there was a gravitational pull to church from tradition. That's gone. There was a natural a niche for church day. Families, a man could, could literally have his job. In the 60s, a man could have a job and his wife could stay home. Not saying you should. Don't any feminist start manifesting on me. I'm saying she could. And they could put their children through college on one salary. Now you meet each other like ships in the night. And even when you're home, everyone in the family is staring at a separate screen. And going to church is a statement today because of the hostility and the persecution. All of you filling this church is an anomaly that goes against the grain of what's going on in our culture. And you're here because you're hungry for God to touch you. Now, the most insulting thing after the effort you've made to be here and listen to this. After the effort you've made to be here and what you have to do with your children to be here this morning, the person in this pulpit had better have prayed. They had better have studied. And they better have had a heart for what you're going through. And this is what I want the prophetic to be. There's too many idiots in the church, in the ministry, that have too much time on their hands. And they're living in the mist. They live in the twilight zone. They have an entourage. They have a briefcase. They get off their jet. I fly an expensive jet myself. I fly in a thirty million dollar Southwest Airlines jet all the time. And unlike your private evangelist jet, I can stand up in mine and get peanuts. Somebody help me right now. Yeah. But you don't live in a real world. And then you come off arrogant. You stand up there and you pontificate. Isn't that something? I, I own a dictionary. So you get up there and you spout all of these unrealistic things to people when they're hurting so bad and they're struggling and they're, they're, they're neck deep in water trying to hold a marriage and a family together. Now let me tell you something. Here comes Marillo with this. You're not a housewife. You're not a husband and a father alone. You are a weapon in the hand of God. Let me tell you, and the faith that you have is designed to hold you behind enemy lines. You understand what I'm saying? 
You are not a victim of your time. And what the church needs to do is to preach to you authority and power and tenacity and promises of victory on every level. But we don't believe in cheap grace, cheap victory, or a cheap walk with God. Somebody give God the glory. How many of you want to know him? God, you want to know him? Yes. Well, one day the Lord burned these two words in me. I mean, if you give me five more minutes, will you? You know, he, policy and prophecy. Policy and prophecy. What is policy? The laws and traditions created by man to govern people. It is all of the viewpoints that influence and control. Policy is the idiocy that is in our universities right now. And I believe that university professors sometimes are the biggest bullies in the ghetto. Holding a child hostage for a grade, preaching your God hatred and calling it truth. See, they're the modern Pharisees, teaching the traditions of men as if they were the word of God gender blending, mixing up the mind of adolescents at a highly vulnerable time in their life. Now, please grab this. Policy is tyrants like what's happening in North Korea. Policy is oppressive laws. Policy is business principles that will enrich a corporation and create a slave labor market. That's policy. Now what is prophecy? Prophecy is always going to trump policy. Prophecy will trump policy. In other words, the power of a time in which you live is dictated by the word God said about that before it even happened. Now let me, let me read you, see if you can see this. In Luke chapter 2, it says that Caesar Augustus said all the world would be taxed. Do you know that in the 1,200 years of the Roman Empire, Caesar Augustus was the most powerful tyrant that Rome ever knew. He controlled the entire world. How many of you know when the Bible says he decreed that all the world would be taxed, it meant the Roman Empire had taken over the world. Now, he sat up there in his palace making a law that would affect Israel, thinking, I have the power through policy to control the outcome. And what ended up happening is the policy he created fulfilled the prophecy that was made by Micah that Joseph and Mary would be forced to head to Bethlehem. So now, prophecy swallowed up policy. That's why you and I have got to look at the prophetic completely different. The prophetic is not a parlor game to make a bored housewife feel valuable. The prophetic is the word of the Lord and the promises of God in your time. 